everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Arab and the Gay. My name's Haya. I'm Kevin. And we're super excited to be here. We're also super excited to introduce our special guest. Our special guest, Dr. Robert Earhart. Woo! Hello. Chairman, or chairman, uh, department head for the program that Haya and I are both a part of. Which is international management. International management. Oh, and uh, playing with the microphones here. Sorry, it's going to take us a it's going to take us a minute to get settled in everyone. But we're super excited to be here. We're so excited to have you all back. We make sure that you're listening every Tuesday at 9 p.m. because the Arab and the gay is only on then. (laughs) 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 We have not made it into a podcast just yet. So, oh, hey, you cannot say that. Just kidding. Cut that out. Cut that out. Cut (laughs) that out. Uh, In any event, uh, thank you for tuning in again this week. Uh, Like I said, we have our department chair and esteemed professor here. Uh, And, you know, we're just going to do our thing like we do every week. Mm -hmm. And we've got a few questions. Um, But mostly, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, Dr. Earhart? Uh, Yes. Uh, So I'm the director of the Master's of Science in International Management program here at the American University of Paris. Um, I have been the director since 2015. I've been at AUP since uh, 2009, so I guess that's 10 years. Mm-hmm. I'm from San Francisco, California originally Ooh. and lived in Portland, Oregon for about a decade um, before moving to Europe. Um, I've lived in the Netherlands for five years, both Rotterdam and Amsterdam, and then cool. moved to Paris back in 2006. Do you speak any Dutch? Ein klein beetje. Ein klein beetje. <gasps> that was hot. Wait, well, because we're going to the Netherlands next week, yeah. and I have been wondering, like, you know, how do you say Einklein Beitsche? That's I, uh, I speak a little bit. Yeah, I, a little Einklein bit. Einklein yeah. Beitsche. It sounds Einklein like German. Beitsche. Yeah, and then the other thing you need to get used to if you go to the Netherlands is het is niet mogelijk, which means I don't niet, speak Dutch. Niet niet mogelijk. It means it is not possible. You oh. hear that everywhere you go. Wait, okay. say it one more time. Het is niet mogelijk. Yeah, and if you want to roll your G, you can because you can do a G sound. So it's hetis niet gemakkelijk. Yes, and I actually knew that because I worked in a cheese shop in Seattle and we sold gouda. Gouda. The cheese, gouda. Gouda. But the the farmers who like made the cheese were like, oh, it's actually pronounced gouda. I think it was that was it, or Huda, no Chauda. That's really not attractive, is it? Well, I mean, I think it's all relative. Yeah, but. Did you like the Netherlands? Yeah. Um, yeah, although I found I stayed at the carnival a bit too long, so to speak. And, um, wow. I, I, I think I stayed a year longer than I should have. Um, it just, that last year was a bit, uh, the uh, yeah, there's there's a combination of the weather, food, and it's sort of hard to integrate um, mm-hmm. if you're an expat. So, yeah, yeah when um, I'd met my partner, actually, while we were in the Netherlands. Um, in fact, the day I moved up from Rotterdam to Amsterdam was the day that we met. And, oh, wow. Um, Yeah, and basically I was given an ultimatum that we must leave. Like, (laughs) we have to just leave. So um, he's French, so we moved to Paris. Oh, were you ever planning on moving to to France? Um, My plan, actually, when I I went to Europe to do my master's degree at at, uh, Rotterdam School of Management and then uh, decided to stay um, maybe for an extra year. And then, you know, yeah, I'm still in Europe. So, wow! Yeah, just kind isn't of it funny how life out. works out that yeah, way? Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, it, uh, it just kind of has a way of just carrying you along. You make a you make it make a decision, and then you're like, oh, and then you end up being oh, somewhere for ten years, yeah. and you're like, how did I get here? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and it was weird also because I ended up starting my PhD immediately after I uh, finished my master's degree, mm-hmm. and I thought, okay, you know, I'll just stay in Holland for an extra, or excuse me, Netherlands. You're not supposed to stay in Holland anymore. Um, but uh, wait, why? Um, because Holland is actually only uh, there's North Holland and South Holland, and those are just two small provinces, and the Netherlands oh. are all the provinces like Friesland and Honingen, and which is where we're going, Friesland and Honingen. Yeah. yeah, which yeah, I love. Yeah. I love. I love it when. Cal- Path pronounce pronounces Honigan. Honigan, yes. Honigan. Yeah. <laughs> Honigan. Yeah, it's a very cool university town. But yeah, anyway, so um, yeah, I just ended up um, yeah, just being in Europe, um, and pretty much I think I'm going to be here for a lot longer. So yeah, yeah. Have you guys have the two of you talked about moving back to the states at all? Um, not recently, and I think we have no plans to. Um, there was a bit of talk about that, but frankly, uh, I, I just, I, I think um, I, the culture shock and the reverse culture shock gets worse every time I go back. Yeah. So I, I now go, I can't watch network television in the U.S. anymore. It yeah. just, I, 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 I um, you know, I just sort of find myself not really understanding the cultural logic anymore. It, it just, it, um, I, I think I've crossed over in yeah. a weird way. And so I'm not really French, but I'm not really, yeah, I'm just sort of in that weird gray zone these days. You're a citizen of the world. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Global explorer. Global explorer. Yeah, that's what we're all about. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, that's really crazy. But another thing I want to ask, what did you study in your undergrad? Um, so I double majored in philosophy and psychology. Okay. Philosophy and, and psychology. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Well, so that's that ex- where a lot that of explains, our ethics that comes explains, from. That explains the ontology. Yeah. Yes. You know? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Objects. I mean, and well, we just want to know, why did you study uh, philosophy? Uh, well, originally... And psychology. My, orig- yes. Originally, my plan was, and I had several different plans, and it's sort of funny as you get older and you look back on what your younger self would have wanted for yourself, mm-hmm. and then you think your younger self was kind of stupid. Amen. Um, so, uh, originally, <laughs> oh my, my plan was to go to UCLA and become a lawyer. Okay. Um, and then I decided to go into pre-med, and okay. then I decided to go to a liberal arts university, but still do pre-med, and then I wanted to do international affairs, but I'd taken some philosophy classes and really loved them and I took a psychology class and really loved that yeah. and then when it finally got to the point where like I have to declare something and have a plan that that was a plan I went with so and I'm quite happy with that plan it was uh, you know it's worked out really well and I've, I've found that um, it's sort of come back as you know both philosophy and psychology as themes through most of my life since so yeah. that's been interesting what is like your favorite philosopher um, oh God, that's a real loaded question right now because yeah. there's so many. I'd, I'd say my all-time favorite is uh, Gilles Deleuze. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. I find it, it very compelling. Um, I also kind of have a thing. I, I, I still like Jean-Paul Sartre just because mm-hmm. that was the first philosopher I really read it with any great depth, and that was in high school. Um, I've, I've kind of dabbled in many things since. Um, you know, right now I, I, I really like sort of the stuff happening around object-oriented ontology, Harmon, Morton, um, and I think it's also most relevant to the, the work we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sort of what's going on in out and about in the world. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I sort of like Jean Baudrillard. It's kind of fun. Um, you can do some fun things with Baudrillard, uh, Pierre Bourdieu, Rancière. Um, yeah. All people that Hay has never heard of. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hey, look, uh, just 
a back a quick little background fact that I want to tell you all. We are studying a bunch of philosophy in our ethics class, which is the reason as to why I want to know why he studied it. So it's a lot. It's not the easiest stuff. Just letting you know. Right? Yeah, it gets it gets easier. But I mean, does it? Yeah, and we're, we're actually moving into we're actually moving now and more into using yeah. it rather than just simply study it. Just uh, all the groundwork is there, and now we get to do the fun stuff with it. So. Amen. Hopefully it gets even funner. Amen. I love a good philosopher. So you were born in San Francisco. Yes, I was. One of the, uh, a you don't meet, you just, I mean, I, so background for me, I've been, I was in San Francisco for five years before coming to, to AUP and you know, it's not often you meet a San Francisco native. Yeah. Yeah. And That's I, right. Cause you grew up sort of like in the Pacheco. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Actually I grew up on Pacheco street. Okay. Like my, my parents' house, they still live there, is on 9th and Pacheco. Mm-hmm. That is yeah, yeah. a really is beautiful area. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's literally a block from where I was living before I came here. Oh, I was okay. on 9th. I was on 9th between Noriega and Ortega. Okay, yeah. So, so yeah, so literally you know those forest hill pillars. Exactly, yeah, yep. my house is just a few houses down from those pillars. Uh, yeah, yeah. And what was your childhood like being in San Francisco? Um, uh, well, San Francisco was not as lame then. No. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I, 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 I I'm sorry, fellow San Franciscans. Before it was, you know, I was there when it was still cool. You know, that yeah. that, that, that kind of back cliche. when people moved there because it was really. And a pretty yeah, incredible yeah. place to be, but um, yeah. So I, I basically I went to um, an incredibly conservative Irish Catholic grade school. Yeah. Um, and the funny thing is that you can you can, San Francisco is actually quite conservative in 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 parts, and so it was actually like we're talking like Angela's ashes kind of oh, wow. Irish Catholicism, yeah. like the nuns dragging into the office by your ear kind of Ooh. kind of place. And then I went to a Jesuit uh, high school um, in San Francisco. Uh, Say that again. I'm sorry. A Je- Jesuit uh-huh. high school. Yeah. So it's an order of Catholicism. That's Is it Saint Ignatius? A, yeah, Saint Ignatius. Yeah. yeah. Um, SI. Yeah, I went to SI, and then um, uh, yeah, which was a bit more, how should I say, freewheeling and open. And actually, um, I, I got a I got a pretty solid education there. Yeah. Coming out of mm-hmm. high school and going into college, it's like I, I kind of. Um, appreciate it. I did not appreciate the the sort of um, forced elective and cath- electives and Catholic dogma, but it is what it is. Um, and uh, yeah, and and then I then I left. I left for Portland, Oregon, uh, and did, did university in Oregon. So, so question: Is it safe to say that you kind of come from like a conservative family? Um, yeah. Well, the funny thing is, uh, my 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 family's a bit weird um, okay. in that sense. As they all are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I would say that my my father is just. Um, I would call him um, if he were to cast a vote for the. Um, provocation party he would Um, he pretty much just likes to annoy people Um, Um, he's a rabble rouser yeah he he pretty much will just say things that he knows will will be upsetting Um, and then my mother is sort of um, also interesting case she kind of got swept into that whole weird Limbaugh thing in the 90s Mm -hmm. Um, but hey it definitely doesn't remember that but I vaguely remember that I was born then okay yeah yeah, yeah, that's just a great way to but yeah Limbaugh was you feel young I know I, I vaguely remember that because my family yeah. was really politically active and I remember there being a lot of talk about Limbaugh and no, you no, no. want to explain for the fans what that is? Uh, yes. Rush Limbaugh was a conservative commentator. Yeah, a conservative radio talk show host that um, became very popular in the early 90s and yeah. then he, his popularity grew with the Gingrich Revolution. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. New Gingrich, was in office, all that. Um, there was kind of a Republican sweep and that's actually where the politics... American politics we're experiencing now sort of were born. Which 
as a complete aside, I'm sorry, that's what I presented on in marketing when I talked about... Uh, you did not. Yes, I did. The, co- the documentary that we watched, I talked about how Clinton, uh, how politics, how the liberal politics mm-hmm. switched with Clinton, and a lot of it became like focus group decided politics after the Republican sweep of the 1994 midterm elections. Okay, I do remember that. Thank you. And as we all know, Continue. focus groups make everything better. Yeah. <laughs> Only a little bit. Just kidding. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, and uh, yeah, and the other thing too is I think um, for me that was a particularly resonant time because I actually worked in politics for a while. I worked for oh the first openly gay legislator, state legislator in the state of Oregon, mm-hmm. uh, or gay male. There was actually a, a lesbian legislator that was elected. I think the term before him, but um, yeah. So right when we, right when I started working there, was a Republican sweep, and so it was just very weird to be pushing these you know if for america anyway ultra left bills um during uh during a republican sweep I and mean, we got almost nowhere with any of our legislation yeah i would um, think not but uh you know we still we sort of pushed ahead and actually a lot of the bills we were working on eventually became law when when oregon sort of moved back to the center left um about a decade later and actually uh, kate brown used to who's the governor of oregon now i actually, actually carpooled with her oh really back in the day down to the down to the state house uh, from Portland to Salem and back. So that was always kind of fun. Um, yeah. Anyway, hard to believe she's governor now. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. You meet people at a young age and they stick with what they're doing. and Yeah. And then that's it. I don't know. Politics. Have you considered politics? Um, God, no. I, I, I've, <laughs> I, one of the reasons why I left the U.S. was politics. Sure. Same. Um, I just couldn't. I, I, and this was, this was I, what inspired me to leave was when George W. Bush was elected. And I'm not particularly sensitive um, politically, but um, I just um, I was actually working in a federally funded area at the time. And I was looking at our funding cuts and going, OK, I'm going to work twice as hard for half the money. I think yeah. it's time mm-hmm. to go. Yeah. So it just seemed like a very good time to start graduate school. I just want to touch base on something that you said. You mentioned that you were a gay male and how you were working in in some in a group in yeah. A- yeah, in um well in politics as well as in NGOs. So I was a social worker in Portland, Oregon, or should I say a manager of social workers in Portland, Oregon. Mm. Okay. And so I want to just touch base on that and say like and you said that you grew up in a conservative family. How was it like dealing with that? Um, well, I, okay. My my uh, my conservative family is not like conservative along traditional lines. It was a little bit weird. There was um, it was uh, yeah. It's not it's not like uh, what one would think of in terms of conservative because it was also strikingly open mm-hmm. simultaneously. It was um, I will definitely say my family um, prized um, education and and reading and intelligence. Yeah. Um. So you know it wasn't all bad in that way um but yeah and then uh um when i went into politics it was it was just you know i would say that there was some friction Mm -hmm. about my life choices when i was younger uh but um it seems to have dissipated okay so sure and what was the friction that you mentioned um well you know obviously sexual orientation was a problem Mm -hmm. there were several years where i couldn't meet with my mom without her bursting into tears and saying oh it's so sad but um and And what about aunt jude uh, Aunt June? <laughs> Jude. 
Or is it June? June. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Aunt June. I have an Aunt June lives in Zanesville, Ohio. I was like, oh my God, yeah. how do you remember that? I'm like, are you of making course. that, that up? That was a really obscure, like off the cuff reference. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, I can't believe you remember that. But yeah, so I have an aunt. I have a lot of relatives. My parents are from Ohio. And so I have a oh. lot of relatives in Zanesville, Ohio. And, yeah. Where no um, one should ever be, by the way. I'm sorry. And I know. Actually, it's very well, quaint sure. in a David Lynchy sort of way. I mean, if you go to downtown Zanesville, which has been hollowed out by the Walmart Superstore, there is a David Lynch quality to the the place. You're listening to The Arab and the Gay on AP Radio, brought to you by WRP. It's 9.20. Um, but yeah, it's, um, so I've got a lot of relatives that are extremely conservative, Trump supporters, etc. And it's, Ooh. after my grandmother passed away a few years ago, I, I, I've sort of had a hard, have a hard time bringing myself to wanting to go back. It's also really expensive to get to the middle of nowhere in the U.S. Absolutely. It's really expensive. I know. I'm from so, Billings, yeah. Montana. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, when I lived in Chicago, no matter what time of the year, it was always almost $500 to get home. Wow. And uh, from San Francisco, it was cheaper because you get a lot more flights going you know, going west and going east. But yeah, I mean, we have like four airline companies in the United States now, essentially. And so yeah. they're able to monopolize prices. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I when I came to check out AUP back in February, I got round trip tickets from San Francisco to Rome for $375. And it usually costs me approximately that to get home to see my family. So that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. So, anywho, yeah. So, so I guess to sort of circle back to the the original question, um, <laughs> and June, yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it, it's sort of my 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 parents actually left Ohio to sort of escape that closedness and smallness, mm-hmm. um, and I'm really glad they did, and I'm really glad they did before I was born. Yes. So I am very yeah, absolutely. For that. Yeah. And you said you're going to be moving back up to Paris this year. Are you? Did you make the decision to? Yeah, no, that is final. So just to um, contextualize that a bit for your audience. Um, so yeah, my partner and I, my partner got a job in Nice um, two years ago, and so I've been going back and forth between Nice and Paris. So I come up during the week to teach my classes, and then spend weekends and holidays and summer in Nice. Um, but that is finally coming to an end, as is my carbon footprint from this venture. Woo-hoo. But um, uh, yeah, so we're we're definitely going. Uh, um, you know, I, I never really left Paris, but yeah, the, yeah. the, the, how should I say the, the, um, the gravity of our relationship will be moving back to Paris. So yeah. that was beautiful. That was, <laughs> that was really something, but was, I really want to just touch base back on something again, if you don't okay. mind. Hey um, is really good at moving things back to where we were. I, I'm, <laughs> we're fairly tangential and then Hey is like, whoop. We're going to just circle right I just need back to get around. this out, okay? Otherwise, it's going to kill me if I don't because we are a show about positivity. Thank you, Haya. And so we do want to reflect on adversities and how we overcame them and, you know, what we have to do in order to get to the places that we are at today. So, Miss Professor Earhart. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. Earhart. <laughs> um, tell us about that. How? What were some adversities that you ever had in your life that you felt like, you know, you weren't really going to overcome or like, if you don't mind, um, and then you were able to do so? 
Oh God, yeah. I don't know. There's there's sort of like um, one specific one that stands out. If the, anything. The or the Cliff Notes versions. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I mean, uh, oddly enough, the the whole sexual orientation thing has not actually been as much averse as one would think. Actually, frankly, um, believe it or not, I uh, you know basically had a lot of problems with attention and social skills and stuff growing up, mm-hmm. and so honestly, that whole process of sort of learning how to cope. In fact, I'm sure. If I was born ten years later, I would have ended up on Ritalin. That is that is pretty much guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, sort of learning not only how to navigate social space, uh, social spaces, and, and just like learn how to focus and learn how to uh, be able to channel that sort of nervous energy and that very discursive way of thinking into something productive was probably the most challenging thing and still is sometimes. In fact, sometimes there are things that can kind of trip, um, this kind of, and I, by the way, I've never been formally diagnosed cause I don't want to end up on, no. on medication, but it sort of trips me into this, um, this mode of having a hard time focusing and, uh, you know, this combination of perfectionism, et cetera. So that I'd say is probably been the most challenging thing I've dealt with and then also how to relate to others with all this going on that mm-hmm. that that took quite a while um, and you know I think I've reached a very happy medium and I think you know frankly a lot of what I would count as my successes are from being able to you know sort of have that um, what would be seen as a problem but but sort of being able to turn it to an advantage can I ask how because as you're like as you're saying that that rings so true yeah. like like terribly true um i've also never necessarily been diagnosed with anything but i do have some trouble focusing so well i think we all do i think mine was particularly acute um especially when i was younger i had to go to learning therapists and 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 psychological specialists uh, and a lot of it had to do with focus and but also i was the weird kid <laughs> I was seriously the the weird kid. But like so. even now, I mean, if you if you get distracted, how do you bring yourself? How do you bring yourself back? Um, it depends on what's distracting me um, and what needs to happen and what the priorities are. I've gotten a, very good about letting certain things go. Um, you know, I also try to prioritize those things where people are depending on me and the degree to which they're depending on me and the consequences Um. that might result for not just myself, but for others, um, through my action or lack of action. Um, so it, it, it is sort of funny. It, it's worked out really well. I honestly don't think I would have been able to do what I'm doing today had I not sort of had that that sort of because distraction can also be curiosity, um, intellectual curiosity. Um, you know, I, oh, I end up true. being able to follow mm-hmm. a lot of different threads. That um, and so one of the outcomes is I find super focused, super like everything works out according to plan. All the time, kind of people really dull because it's just like you know, you know, yeah, that that gets you the house in the suburbs and the nice car and the but there's just not much else there. And so that that. You know, to a certain degree, I think also may have shaped my 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 social environment in a lot of ways of who I tend to be drawn to, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, and sometimes it gets me into trouble. Um, <laughs> I mean, we all get into a little bit of trouble. Yeah, Where's mother- that from? I don't. <laughs> That's a quote, though. From, a, from wait, say it again. We all get into a little bit of, or it's mischief, actually. That's the line. Well, I don't. I'm. That's from Home Alone too. Never oh. mind, everyone. He's too old. I'm not. And you know what? As Kevin, I was always, you know what? Actually, tangentially. Let's hear it. I was always really irritated with Macaulay Culkin. Why? Well, because my name's Kevin. 
and he was Kevin. And then he became a drug addict? Well, no, 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 no. God, no, you but see pictures of him now. It's, it's so sad. sad. But, it's yeah. really bad. But it always irritated me because he, so that was filmed, I think the original one was in 1990, mm-hmm. you know, and he was eight years old. I was six, but I looked older than he did. And it used to really, I mean, it, like it legit irritated me as a like seven-year-old, six, seven-year-old, that Macaulay Culkin as Kevin in Home Alone was older than I was, even though he looked younger. I mean- it's the camera, though. You don't really know what he actually looks like. I mean, even if you see him now, I mean, I, I granted, I let it go a long time ago. Well, yeah, this because he looks that, terrible now. This isn't something that bothers me now. But as a child, it was annoying. It annoyed me. I'm so, so glad that's what we know about your past. Thank you. Thank I'm you. So glad. You know what? That was one of the little adversities that I overcame. Oh, thank God you <laughs> overcame it. Thank God. My Where relationship with Macaulay Culkin as Kevin in Macaulay, Home if you're Alone. listening, we love you. Thank you, Macaulay. Um, so do you guys want a Home Alone fun fact, by the way? Let's it's hear it. It's a French Home Alone fun fact, actually. <sighs> Immediately. So there was a period of time of a few years in the 90s where Kevin was a very popular na- French name. And so you have a lot of guys that are in their late 20s, early 30s now who are named Kevin uh-huh. after um, Kevin and Home Alone. I and the thing that. is, it's sort of like uh, in France anyway, it's sort of considered a, a lower middle class name. <gasps> oh, so wow. the a lot of people get made fun of for having that name. So, no, hold on, hold on. Okay. So, two years ago, I was in Portugal, and uh, this, like, g- older German couple, like, invite. I was sitting there by myself, like, enjoying my food, having a wonderful time, and this German couple invited me over to sit down with them, and their names were Hildegard and Wolfgang, which you don't get more German than that. No. But when I told them my name was Kevin, they said that Kevin and Dennis are the two names in Germany for sort of lower middle class ruffians. Aww. That's okay, because Robert in France is a truck driver's name. Robert? Robert. Wow. Yes. Oh. That's, that's like truck drivers. Robert. Yeah. But now that you it sounds name. like it's oh god it's a sexy familiar. name though robert it's so much sexier than, i mean robert is sexy in english it's fine but robert, no yeah it's great actually it's like george, 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 george is really nice i love too. a good george i've always liked eve eve mm-hmm. yeah, like or julien like oh my, i love julien my mother-in-law i swear to god she sometimes she's like robert c'est très vulgaire and it's like and so robert rhymes with vulgaire and yeah yeah, yeah and being an american and then, yeah, that's, <laughs> speaking of adversity that that's been that's been fun sort of integrating with a French family that that that's adversity for you. No. <laughs> is Oh, how is that? Yeah. Way? It's actually really awesome now. Yeah. It was it's really awesome now, but you kind of in a French family, you got to kind of you got to roll with your punches. It's it, the the whole family relationship is very different here than in the US. Do you mm-hmm. still address them as vous? No. No, okay. no, that ended up that ended up pretty quickly, and it really helped that I that I um, was working on an advanced degree when I met them because that that bought me a lot of brownie points. Sure, um, but um, like in my family, if we have a big blowout argument, we don't talk to each other for like six months afterwards. We're sure, very yep. like especially on the west coast in the U.S., we're very we're a very passive aggressive people. Yes, that does not work here in France. Yeah, you have it out, and if you walk away from an argument or you get passive aggressive, it just makes everything worse. So yeah, you just got to have it out in the moment. You know, my theory with this, though, too, is that in the United States, because we we have such vast distances in between us, it kind of allows things to fester. Whereas I feel like in countries like France and Italy, I mean, I have a good friend of mine in, in Italy I've had this conversation with. I mean, when you're when you're going to see your family again very soon, mm-hmm. you kind of have to have it out 
Like oh, it, ha- for it sure. like it sort of has oh, yeah. to get resolved. Whereas in the United States, I feel like things can kind of fester because you know you're not going to see somebody for months on end. Yeah, I well, I, I, well, I definitely also think that the sort of the individualism that drives American culture is is in, in France. It's, it's there's much more of a collective yes, sense, absolutely, which we've learned in organizational yes, behavior. Yeah, and there's definitely a a, a, much, a much greater emphasis put on solidarity, particularly in French culture. And so, yeah, you, I mean, like the biggest blowout family arguments I've ever had have been with my mother-in-law. And the funny thing is we like, it is actually made us a lot closer. Sure. But, um, yeah, I mean, I would never have an argument with my own mother, like the ones I have with my mother-in-law. Really? The ones I have with my mother-in-law are in French. Yeah. I'm very good at swearing in French now. (laughs) Which I've learned from my father-in-law, by the way. So, yeah. I thought you don't speak French that well, though. I remember. Um, I speak very good cocktail party French. I would not actually and arguing work oh. in French. Like I've tried giving some lectures at French universities in French, and it takes me about ten times the amount yeah. of time to prep. Yeah. Um, to do that, and it's I just, it's just not worth it. Can we have so. a taste? Um, come, come quoi? Le, comme quoi? Le débat avec, Say something uh, about philosophy. Mais si tu veux, si tu veux nous oh parler la de, la, uh, de, de l'ontologie d'objet. Are you, uh, are you, are you the professor? Well, I was asking, I was, I was trying to ask him a question. Oh God. Um, well I could do, I actually learned how to speak some French listening to audio recordings of Jean-Paul Sartre. Uh. <laughs> oui, c'est existence, c'est, uh, c'est rien, mais existence. Ah, uh, I can't. Voulez-vous? <laughs> Cigarette. <laughs> it was like, hey, was did you understand good. any of that? No, I basically. Do said, you want a cigarette? Do yeah. you want a cigarette? I ended Ta-da! up with a cigarette because Jean Paul Sartre always had a cigarette. He, that's true. He did have. A, he, he did smoke a lot. He's a smooth guy. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. in case he sees a pretty woman on the street, first thing he says to her in French, "Do you want a cigarette?" And that's about it. One minute. Okay. Uh, we're I guess already we're almost done. done. We're almost done. And uh, yeah, we would like to go ahead and thank uh, Dr. Earhart for being on here today and You're for welcome. really being a great professor mm-hmm. and for bringing so much passion and excitement to the program that you oversee. Yes. Uh, well, thank you. And thank you for having me. This is fun chatting with you guys. Um, Did you like being on the radio? Yeah, no, it's kind of fun. It's uh, it's actually the, the audio equipment here is so advanced that actually my voice doesn't sound awful, which is nice. <laughs> I can understand that. My kudos to the technical team, by the yes, way. Savannah, yes, Savannah, thank you, Fiona. Thank you thank so you. much, Savannah, so Fiona. Much we're going we're gonna to wrap everything up. We'll be here next week. We'll be here next week. Can't uh, wait to hear you thank all Thank you for in. joining us again. This is uh, the Arab and the Gay, Kevin and Heya, signing Heya. out. And thank you. Have a good day, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.